Good evening, and welcome back to another edition of the JME Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined as always by my buddy Rob. What's up, Rob? Nothing. Um, pretty good. Monday. Victory yeah. Monday. Yeah. Hopefully this is our only recording session this week. Yeah, let's <laughs> you know, hope. So. yeah. Um, and, no, it's good. Like what, I, I had fun over the weekend. I don't know. It was our first FBS FCS game on the other side. So that was kind of cool and, yep. you know, big win, but it was pretty good weekend. And now looking forward to the bye week and then really getting after it and being part of this, you know, most exciting conference in college football. Yes. Yes. Uh, good morning to everybody else too. Yeah. Uh, after last week. Oh yeah. I um, forgot about that. Yeah. Good, yeah. Or, uh, good midday or coffee go. break, whatever it is. Yeah, who knows by the time we, uh, anyways, we won't go into our troubles, old man troubles. But uh, <laughs> Rob, this was a really fun weekend. And as you mentioned, um, I don't know, I, f- I feel extra pressure tonight to be, uh, you know, sound like we know what we're talking about because we're a um, very, very like media adjacent version of uh the, the best conference in college football yeah. yeah there might actually be people listening to this with some form of expectations and let's just nip it in the bud and say you know drop them that this ain't that if you're looking for good insider analysis uh yeah. please please move on thank you for your contributions but or yeah. your appreciation. Yes. I, it is really cool though before we get into it it and, was awesome let's go, we might as well start there because just I mean, jump at me like, to talk from the game but yeah this was the, the the big story this weekend was not jmu related right no not at all no. Yeah. It was like, oh boy, did we get involved in, in the right conference at the right time? Like, this is just <sighs> exciting. And I've never been much for like the conference pride. I always kind of laughed at the SEC chance. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I probably would have started an SBC chant <laughs> if yes. I was in this weekend. I had a lot of conference pride, and that was pretty cool uh-huh. after coming off a situation where I think certainly. I had a lot of animosity. I don't think I was alone towards the CIA. It, was, it had become kind of a bitter relationship. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to kind of puff out our chest and take, to, you know, just kind of some pride as a conference. And I, I think that kind of comes with, yeah, everybody's recognizing the Sun Belt and it's kind of the the hipster PBR of of college football Twitter right now. But it is kind of neat to to have a little bit of that underdog thing, but also you know, slinging punches and knocking out some of the big boys. So mm-hmm. it's just super fun. Like I, I think this is going back to college football's roots where you've got, you know, the regional rivalries and everything, but then people really circling the wagons and us, us against them sort of mentality. So I thought it was fantastic to see Marshall beat Notre Dame, yes. obviously App State down at Texas A&M, and then to see Georgia Southern, you know, uh-huh. lead to Nebraska has had a rough go of it, but to yeah. get a team so bad, they fire their coach. That's... You know, that's just, if you're the last straw, it's yeah. kind of cool to go on the yeah. road. So I, cool. I thought it was a good showing all around. And then Georgia State even made a really good run of it uh, against North, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. there was, yeah, there were other good wins around. I mean, that was all on the back of ODU's win over Tech in week one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Sun Belt was 10-4 and four as a league this week. And two of those were – two of the losses were other power – one of was the Georgia State-North Carolina, you know, very respectable showing. It's a close game, yeah. They yeah, can. I mean, they had them know, on the, the other was Arkansas State at Ohio State, so like mm-hmm. not they covered. Um, just so like also like nothing to be upset about, you know. No, that's um, a good payday, good showing, Cash and some and- good help from the bottom. Of, I mean, Texas State beat FIU, which mm-hmm. was like after they looked so awful the first week. That was terrible. South Alabama beat Central Michigan on the road. So like a couple other like. 
you know, yeah, Louisiana beat Eastern Michigan. So, I mean, a couple other like FBS, FBS games. And those um, are important too. Like those aren't obviously those are just as important, maybe. but to yeah. take care of business and just beat the Mac schools or the conference USA's, you know, mm-hmm. like what Jamie did week one, just to take care of business and kind of represent your conference well and keep everything moving along. That's mm-hmm. important, particularly for schools that you mentioned, which, you know, are maybe having a little bit of growing pains and trying to get the ship turned in the right direction. Yeah. And, and look, plenty of schools in the conference, JMU first and foremost among them, um, will have their shots at Marshall this year. But Marshall coming out of this weekend is very much, uh, with the Houston loss, very much in the driver's seat for the New Year's Six bowl berth. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you just look around at the national rankings and the schedules and where everybody stands, um, and, I, and I think App actually will be back in the conversation if they just play well, <laughs> you know, like they, I mean, JMU and others will have something to say about that too, but I, I just, it was really fun. And Rob, it was so fun just to be in a place I, I did, I told, I really underestimated. I know we've talked about this, but I couldn't get over just other schools with fans, like yeah. other schools that are in engaged and invested in this, like, I ventured back to the message boards, you know, a little bit, like just because there's a Sunbelt board where people get really, you know, forget the JMU side of it. Just like everyone's like, way to go. This is awesome. You know, yeah, that it's just, you're right. It's so fun. I mean, Louisiana carrying the nation's longest winning streak that they keep broadcasting to everyone. I suppose that's a good idea while it lasts mm-hmm. uh, for them. JMU in the top four in the nation in scoring offense, and like yardage per game yeah. along with schools like USC and Michigan. Um, yeah. So just really, I, it was really fun. I mean, I, um, y- you know, looking backwards, there's all that, but like we said about Marshall, uh, there's big games again this week. The other thing I didn't think about Rob was, I mean, I had multiple people. I had a couple people. Yeah. Two people reach out today who are not like my usual, like one of them's my neighbor who's a JMU fan, but not, particularly engaged, you know, not us. Yeah, no. Right. But like, but cares enough, like, and looked up stuff today to Mm -hmm. the point where when he, when the game time was announced versus app, he was like, what are you doing for the game? You know, (laughs) like, like kind of thing. Um, Yeah. People are aware and that's really fun. And, and I had, the other thing I hadn't thought about is like, it's not just like one week not in our old conference and particularly in JMU's case, but even some of the other good teams, there was occasionally games where you're like, oh, so-and-so is playing a bad Virginia team. This could, this is a chance for an upset, right? Yeah. Like we saw William and Mary upset UVA before. I think um, Richmond beat them too, I think. Yeah, or we've seen like, okay, like New Hampshire is playing Boston College this weekend. You know, yeah. could they maybe do it or something? But it was kind of like, a, I don't know, outside of JMU, we didn't really, I mean, maybe one game a year that you looked at. Whereas we just came off this weekend – and now I'm looking at the schedule this week while JMU is on a bye. A, we have college game day going to Boone, which, which made me laugh because I had always thought like JMU had these perfect set of circumstances to get college game day twice. The Sun Belt had never had it. And I thought, well, that's one thing we won't be having again. Yeah. And then here we are in week three and it's the Troy app game on college game day. Um, but Arkansas State's going to Memphis this week. Georgia State is hosting Charlotte who they will probably pummel. They'll crush, yeah. Right? Monroe is going to Alabama. Not that that's... ODU is going to UVA. South Alabama is going to UCLA this weekend, which suddenly looks 
I don't know. They've won two games so far. Like, who knows, right? Um, it's just fun. Texas State's going to Baylor. Like, all it's not just one game a year that's like, oh, maybe that's a chance. It feels like there's just like strength in numbers here of like, there's I'm going to be interested in some of these games. Yeah, I'm going to peruse those scores this weekend, you know? So, yeah, it was really fun. I, I just, obviously, everything around it, the whole Sun Belt, everyone should bow down to the Sun Belt was great. It was also great, Rob, the sequence of the games. Like, the Marshall game happened first, I think, right? So that was really fun, and that would have been a great day, right? Yeah. And then, but that rolled right into the app A&M game, or maybe I have them reversed, but... No, you got it right. Yeah, I got it right. And then that was actually frustrating. Weirdly enough, I thought app was going to blow it when the kid dropped the touchdown. Yeah, um, and that was one of those, because they really were taking care of business and the uh-huh. time of possession and everything. They were moving the ball. Just It looked like one of those things where it's like, oh, no, you know, an NCAA tournament one where... Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 or 16 outplays them, but then just in the end, they let it get away. Yeah. It looked like it was going to be Georgia State, North Carolina. Yes. Yeah. Like you've got a lead, not to the degree that Georgia State had that lead, but you were just like, oh, this is going to be a moral victory. And then App State was going to be in a world of hurt down yeah. 02. They came through. I, I thought maybe the most exciting one, though, in a lot of I ways was Georgia Southern coming it in was, late. Like, like, we both, we jokingly wrote, like, okay, your turn, Georgia Southern, when that game started, but yeah. I was only half-hearted about it. Right? Completely. And then the way they did it, come yeah, down well, at the end on the yeah. road, it was cool. Like, good for Clay Helton and the guys. Yeah. And I actually, all three, I mean, first of all, all Sunbelt East. So just mm-hmm. wonderful. Also the love for Sunbelt East. But all three of those games, none of them were like gimmicky. No, like, it wasn't a flick. They weren't like, oh, they did seven things and ran two punts back and blocked a field goal and you it know. wasn't JMU Sam Houston from a couple, you know, punt no, gets no. held up in the wind and weird return. And it was right. just like, hey, they they beat the football team. Right. They just outplayed them. Like all three games, it was like, well, well, in the Georgia Southern's case, they just outscored them. But in the other two, it was like they beat them everywhere they on the field, really. You know, yeah. um, those were very deserved wins. And it was deserved. And props to Marshall. Yeah. But Notre Dame's got problems on offense. Yeah. That, that is. Well, that now is losing a, the quarterback too, and yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Texas A&M a, has problems on offense too. They only scored seven points. I mean, the kid, the one superstar kid, made all their plays and ran the t- kickoff back for a touchdown. Right? They I do, mean, and Jimbo's getting a whole lot of money to be basically the exact same as Kevin Sumlin, just with more talent. Yes, same results, exactly. more talent. You know, it, it's crazy. So yeah. Oh, but it, it's oh, it's an exciting time, and um, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I I, I mean, the crazy thing to us, I think. I sat here as a JMU fan and thought, well, schedule's going to get really hard for App in the next few weeks. You know, like all these teams are going to have to play their way through each other now. Uh, it's a which gauntlet. It's going to be a delight to watch. Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, it's, I hate to keep looking backwards, but it's the CAA from 2007 to 2011 sort of thing. Like it's every week, it's King of the Mountain who's going to yeah. come out on top. You, you don't know. This is, I woke up. Uh, Sunday morning and I text my dad being like, man, this is no joke. He's like, JMU has some big games coming up. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And that's all we've ever wanted. Yep. All we've wanted <laughs> is, is to actually care. You know, it's second or third week of, of the season and you're already nervous looking ahead being like, oh my gosh, we yes. got to buy, but then they got to go to app and then, whoa, it's just one after another. And even teams like Texas State, which you look like, okay, mm-hmm. First year that that'll be a winnable game. Now you're like, holy, there's no easy outs. No, no, no. easy outs at all. So. Yeah, I mean that's JMU. Obviously, we're 
we're going to app in two weeks. And then we have that three-game stretch you and I talked about a while ago that was Texas State, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern. Well, A, Georgia Southern looks a lot better. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and then you just nothing, none of that's easy. None of that is none of that's Towson, you know? And uh yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, looking at App State, they in this three of their last four are on the road and those three road games at the end of the season are coastal Marshall and Georgia Southern. Good luck with that. Have fun. Right. Like, like really that's, um, that's great. But Todd, it all goes back to what we've been saying. Like this is a schedule and this is a league that is built for the fact that like you win the conference, you, you win the, even just the East alone, you win the East. It's great. You win the conference. It's a big deal. You and I would say we'd buy the t-shirt. We'd be proud of that. Whoever wins this league, that is a good season and one to be remembered and one to be proud of. Forget about bowl games or anything else. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's icing on the cake. And a couple of years from now, if that leads to an opportunity in the college football playoff, that is terrific. But yeah. you will never take away those conference championships. And those are going to be something to be really proud of. And they're going to be really fun to chase as a fan. They are. And I, and I do. It's, you know, you and I are the ones who always say a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. But I actually listened to one of those little Twitter space things today mm-hmm. and it was like the mid-major madness, the basketball account, oh, yeah. like um, doing a, they were doing a interview with the Arkansas state bat men's basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought it was like a Sunbelt preview, but then it was like at least the part of the 10 minutes I listened to were mainly the coach. And even in that little stretch, he mentioned like, the football over the weekend and like how exciting it was to be part of a conference that people are talking about and how much he thought it was going to help the conference in basketball and other sports that like people care about this place and they're going to know about this place, you know? Uh, so that, that's kind of cool. There's a yeah. lot to kind of roll your eyes about with college athletics nowadays. And yep. we all can sit there and talk about the money and is it worth it and everything. But when you start talking about the visibility that it gets for schools and yeah, we're very much focused through like a sports lens, mm-hmm. but this is carrying over. Like you said, your neighbor who doesn't really consider yeah. it to be like a huge sports fans paying attention. Like this all comes back to what you said earlier, rising tide lifts all boats. It's the entire school that stands to benefit here. Mm-hmm. You know, the U S news rankings came out this week and it was JMU's first time in the national ranking. And I don't know you're, yeah. you're more attuned to this. Stuff. They did fine. You know, it's yes. fine. Like, it, but we're going up. Like, there's definitely room for improvement. Right. This sort of stuff helps. This is why you invest in athletics. It's fun and everything. And there's yeah. a lot to really just kind of be grossed out by. Like, just to be honest. Yes. But when you get more people paying attention, when you get more alumni engagement, when you just have people paying attention to your school, that can lead to a lot of really good things if, if handled properly. Hmm. Um. On a on a weekend when it should be said, some um, you know. Well, we don't have to talk about it, but some former JMU players did some good things this weekend as well. Yeah. And um, did make you realize like how much talent we have had around the program <laughs> for a while. Uh, no, Wells had a terrific catch. I mean, it, catch it was- Catch run. Yeah. Tucker Dorsey. He, he benefited from the fact that great. they apparently forgot to guard him, but, <laughs> yes, yes. but he did get it and show his wheels. So that was cool to see. And Tucker Dorsey got some but run. That Thornton was is- Thornton and Santeo, but Thornton in particular, I keep thinking about, I mean, these guys are at the top of like every national list right now. Yeah. And now we'll see how that, you know, they're going to have a buy. And so they're going to fall a little bit and then they're going to play some tougher competition, but like Thornton's going to get his name noticed as a redshirt senior this year in a way that is different than 
the past conference, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just it's just really fun, and we're very fortunate on the timing for sure. And I, I don't know, I'm I'm excited about what the future holds. And you know what else, Rob? I didn't realize we've talked about how like you weren't trading. There was this old. We always had this debate for the last 15 years about like playing for a championship versus like better regular season games. Mm-hmm. And we were, or worse, people would say regular or championship versus bowl. And we would say, well, it's not championship versus bowl. It's playing for a championship versus like having a entertaining schedule throughout the season. Yeah, um, Saturday, and maybe, October, and maybe hosting October, some games that better. matter. So like immediately this weekend, you, I know you and I both couldn't help. I, I immediately thought about like, wow, that Marshall game went from being like, this is really cool hypothetically to like, this is just flat out cool. <laughs> Right. And it went, what I didn't realize is I'm more excited for this app game in two weeks, assuming they win this weekend. I'm more excited for, I know I'm more excited right now than I was last year when we knew we were playing, hosting Montana in the semis. Like, it's just, it's night and day, right? Like, it's a, this is a huge game that like people, like I said, I mean, whether it's your neighbor or somebody who's a, I don't know, an Oregon State fan. It's going to notice that game in a different way, you know, and it, it, you don't need the validation, but it's just, I, I know I'm personally more excited to go to app to see JMU go down there and play in this game. <laughs> you know, it's just different. And I don't want to constantly look back and no, be one no. of these people that like poo poos the FCS. The FCS was great. It continues to be great. Mm-hmm. And it's an awesome experience for fans of those programs and, and all that. And I sincerely mm-hmm. mean that, but for me, it had, it had grown tired. And I think what's cool about this is what you're saying is there are individual games on Jamie's schedule this year and every year mm-hmm. that can really change your perceptions on an entire season with mm-hmm. the FCS. It had gotten to the point where we talked about this ad nauseum. Every single game was simply a referendum on Jamie's readiness for Frisco slash NDSU. Yep. It was not particularly fun. It became a very binary thing. Either Jamie mm-hmm. wins the championship or they don't. Success, failure, good season, bad season. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to admit this, but there are versions of, you know, finishing six and five and having it be a tremendous, tremendous season that we'll never forget if it includes wins over Marshall and yes. App State and so on and so forth. Like if you knock off ODU, you know, yep. even it, you get into that like, Auburn, Alabama type situation where it's a bad year, but as long as you win one game, it's, it's a good year. Yep. There's a couple of those opportunities every year. So like I could conceivably have more joy from a season, two games over 500. If we win big games or unexpected games or a homecoming, mm-hmm. um, that can be more memorable than like a deep run and a loss in the semifinals. And it's so like, that's just, I don't want to look back. But when people ask me, why would you give that up? Why would you be excited about the Sun Belt when you're probably not be playing for a national championship yep. when you would have an FCS? Well, this is why. Yeah, because you know I don't really care what the record is. If JMU were to beat App, App State and ODU and Marshall, that's a hell of a season for me. Cor- correct. That's what I was going to say. I mean, like or a, even take Those were three way. terrific Saturdays I had with my friends hanging out with JMU Twitter. It's like, that's cool. That's fun. That's like the elation that I will feel on those Saturdays bleeding over into Sunday morning. Now that you get kind of the national talk about it and like, Oh, these big wins, like that's just, it, it's hard yeah. to explain. And, and I haven't lived through it yet. So right. I'm kind of uh, making it up. But like, to me, that's what's so exciting about this is it's just, it matters more. Like I care more for 12 weeks yep. than I will through the basically a, 
I, it's not that I didn't care. I love JMU football, but like I didn't get that much of a charge except for one or two games. It was like a junkie, like your tolerance oh, yeah. and, well, and you, you needed so much more. Also, fix. it was like, think back to the games when the years when we would lose uh, maybe an unexpected game. So maybe the New Hampshire game or the Elon Villanova game. last year or something. Villanova last year. Right. And then it, then the rest of the season becomes a whole, like every week is doesn't mean anything yeah. until you finally get to a game that like everyone deems, I, I don't know, a test of some kind. Right. Yeah. So maybe last year that was Montana. It really wasn't. It was probably all the way to NDSU. And you you like don't quite believe again. Where like I'm not saying I'm not, you know, but if JMU like terrible things happen and they lose in Boone, if they win the next three after that, then they get Marshall Louisville ODU in in a row at the end of the month. Right. Like I'll be just as invested by the t- like do you know what I mean? Like if they lose the app and then beat Texas state and Arkansas state, I'll be right back on board with like being super excited for Marshall for homecoming. And yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, go to ODU. Like, I, yeah. There's <laughs> multiple paths to this being a successful season. Like mm-hmm. there's different ways you can view it. Yep. In the old situation, there were not multiple paths. It was very much like you win the title or you go to Frisco and have a good showing maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Otherwise uh, underachieved. Yep. That's kind of a crappy way to live you know like, yeah, yeah yeah exactly you know, no, not was. because it it's was. like it's it's fine to shoot and have high standards yeah. but just because you you don't smell the flowers along the way you know no. you're just kind of like you don't really appreciate the three touchdown win in october of course we should do it. i mean there yeah. are segments of the jamie fan base who think kurt signetti has never won a big game because anytime he right. wins they go well we should have yeah. won he's jamie right. and anytime he loses well whatever it's, it's the only big like in their mind, he's played like four big games. And yeah. that's ludicrous. That's crazy. Yeah. And like, but at the same time, it's easy to see how people feel that way because yeah. it just seemed like nothing mattered except getting to Frisco. Um, so. Well, and college football, I mean, as a sport, is a small sample size sport to begin with. But at the FCS level for JMU, it had become a like microscopic sample size. Yes. Of whether you're good or not, right? I mean, it just was like three games a year was all that mattered. You know, the FBS game, maybe one strong CAA opponent and NDSU. (laughs) And everything else really wasn't like, you couldn't read anything into whether we're progressing or not. You're just going through the motions. Yeah, so. But, Tom, we're almost 23 minutes into this. Um, I think we need to thank our friends from Mossy Creek. Oh, yes, we do. We probably need to kick off the actual podcast portion of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that was part of it. We were going to do yeah. Sunbelt second, but yeah, we, okay. did it, we did it first. Yeah. So, yeah, the, there's the Sunbelt. I mean, they're the new college football overlords. So it's nice to be a part of that. <laughs> yes, it certainly yeah. is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, big thanks to our friends at Mossy Creek down in Harrisonburg. You can go by the fly fishing shop anytime. They're at the corner of Market and Reservoir in the beautiful old brick building. And mention the podcast and get a free Mossy Creek fly fishing sticker, um, including some big, cool, I don't know what kind of fish they are, Rob. <laughs> cool it's a trout. It's a trout. Yes, it's a trout. I'm <laughs> sure it's a trout. Yes. Um, stickers from Mossy Creek. They've had, well, they're getting a lot of rain. This, I, I guess today, at least they got some rain, but you know, it's headed into fall, beautiful fishing time of the year. Uh, beautiful time just to be outside doing fun stuff certainly by the end of October when JMU is hosting Marshall for homecoming, which sounds just 
glorious. Uh, it, it, there's going to be a lot of good days out on the water. So you can talk to them about lessons. You can talk to them about trips, anything you need. Um, but go see Brian and Colby and their team there and uh, mention the podcast anytime. So big thanks to Mossy Creek. Yeah, so Rob, four downs from JMU 63, Norfolk State 7. Uh, I would point out that Marshall, who we all are talking about, beat this same Norfolk State team 55-3 to the week before. So very similar results. Uh, this is also the same Norfolk State team that JMU has just destroyed two other times in the last five or six years. Uh, no surprise here. Um, odd game. I, I mean, not an odd game. I mean, I think what we expected, maybe a little better than I expected early on to the point that it kind of ruined the ability to take the game seriously. I think if I remember correctly, it was 21 nothing, like less than 10 minutes into the game. It, um, yeah. it, and so like everything after that becomes a little bit of a, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it was... 35, it was 20, what was it, 28 at the half or 35 at the half? I think it was 35. It was 35 0 at the half. I mean, whatever happened, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's, there were a few spots that I was a little, you know, I'll express some, you know, some concern, but I generally tough to argue with 63 to 7, no matter who you're playing, especially I think after I was impressed. The one thing I'll start out with, Rob, I was very impressed with JMU's coming back the middle game I always expected them to be up for and to play well in the opening FBS game um whether I didn't know if they win like they did but I certainly thought they'd be tuned up and you know intense I was very impressed with the way they started this game and just sort of made it academic immediately um as you want as everyone at the Sun Belt wants to do against FCS teams so that was a good thing um, yeah, I'm right anything? there with you. And that, I mean, that was actually what I had for my notes for my okay. first time, which is kind of the survive in advance. Like it's no secret, Todd, that I didn't yeah. really love the FBS games as an FCS team. Mm-hmm. I'm equally kind of nonplussed with them as an FBS team. Um, yeah, it's funny. I just, it, there's, there's, there's not a lot of upside. So for me, it's like the same mentality I took as an FCS team was just like, Hey, go in there, play hard, don't get injured, move on. It's the same thing. Just get that W. So I was actually really, really impressed Mm -hmm. because I thought this has the potential. I didn't think they were going to lose. I didn't think it was a trap game, but I thought it was a letdown game. I thought you could see a lot of sloppiness and it could have been just coming down from the high beating Middle Tennessee State, who, by the way, won their second game. They did Um, beat Colorado State and they didn't win. It wasn't even an FCS game. They beat another FBS team, right? So, yeah. yeah. Who was missing their quarterback from last year, but we, we, (laughs) um, um, but still, no, I mean, like that, that's again, like decent, decent win for them. I I just thought there was potential for this to really be a sloppy affair. And then we throw in the fact that Coach Signetti lost his father. Like, yeah. I was really impressed with the fact that the team went out there, they were very focused. They were, you know, way, way better, but they went out there from the first play and just out executed and turned this into a laugher starters pulled at halftime. In many ways, I thought that said more about the team than last week. Last week you could think of like, okay, is this just adrenaline? Is this just everybody's so pumped up, ready to go? You've had, Mm -hmm. you know, a year you've been thinking about FBS and go, 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 go. There was a recipe for this just to really fall flat. They were going to lose. I was kind of more worried about like a 31, 17, like, they did fine. It was never really in doubt, but it just was kind of. But they a just underperformed. Sleeper. They looked ill prepared. Yeah. Like yeah. they weren't taking it seriously. Yeah. They didn't. 
You know, no. so I, I actually thought it was really cool. Like to me, it showed that this team is ready to come in there and be prepared. And next opponent is the most important opponent. Let's focus. They weren't looking ahead to App State. There were a mm-hmm. million reasons you could look at this thing going sideways, and none yeah. of them took hold. Um, so it was a great job by the coaching staff. Great job by Signetti in a, a tremendously difficult circumstances. Yeah. Um, not to sound trite or like, but like no, he did his family proud. That was huge. Like he's from a football yeah. family who went out there and did it and led these guys. I'm sure his father was looking down on him and incredibly proud. Um, it was cool to see. I, I thought the post game interview was fantastic. Yeah. Signetti showing a little bit of emotion there. And I, I don't know. I, just, I, I thought it was great. You know, yeah, um, I thought of him and, and his brother obviously as a coach as well. Yeah. And um, you know, just, it's, it's, it's a strange profession in that way of like, you really do like your, you know, your major work days are, are very set in stone on these like particular 12, 13, 14 days a year. And there's like, it's one of the weirdest perfect, like you and I, like if this happens, we just don't go to our job. Right. No. And like, no, none like, of us would have faulted. Coach, if he said no, hey, that either. No. But I think that the coaches in general think of this like these are the fourteen days of the year that I like nothing. Like I, I'm going to do my job. You know, it's it's a hard well, it's, circumstance. It's yeah. it's weird because like you and I, if you had a coworker who's in a situation who showed up, you might give him a little bit of the hey, what are you doing here, man? That's weird. Yeah, man. Hey, man, come on. But it seems completely. I know. Like it, it seems weird. like. Particularly for the son of a coach, you feel like when people say, oh, this is what they would want me to do. Right. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I, th- I think it was, but it doesn't make it any easier. Right. And he did a heck of a job. So I thought that was really cool. That made me feel really good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final thing where you talk about this FCS, FBS thing, there was some eye rolling of like, oh, Norfolk State, why are we doing that? I'm completely fine with JMU if they're going to play an FCS game and they oh, should, I, I think Good it's important for college football. I, I, I thought it was great when JMU got the opportunity to make some money and potentially pull off the upset, even given the fact that I didn't like these games as so much as anybody else. I realized that they, they do play a, a role in college yeah, football for sure. And I'm fine with it being Norfolk state. It's an in-state school. I think it's cool, you know, playing an HBCU, Mm-hmm. And I don't want anything to do with the other CAA schools for a while. Not that I think they're going to beat JMU, but just like, let's let's rip the bandit off. Let's move away. Particularly some of these schools that were very supposedly anti-JMU. Yeah, the, uh, the, the college in particular. Yeah, right, we don't owe them up. anything. We don't need we, to pay no. them hundreds of thousands of dollars to come beat them. We can play Norfolk State. We can play VMI. Or you yep. can start looking at schools in surrounding states like – this is play fine. Georgetown. I don't care. Yeah, like yeah, if we're, exactly. we're going to play Patriots. one FCS game, yeah, I, and it's not. It, it, you're right. I'm not afraid of losing or anything like that. It's just like I don't want to pay them. The school in the RVA is not in our was never in our conference, really. Yeah, right. And the other college was not like was not a friend to James Madison. Supposedly leading the charge against JMU. Right, right. So I mean, I, you know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, this was great. This was actually the, if you remember, this is weirdly, uh, I think this was the end of a two for one. It was. Where JMU yeah. actually played the home, they played at Norfolk State in the with game. The lightning was, game. The lightning game where it was 17 nothing. they called it, which was, uh, you know, oddly enough, came back again where they did the running clock in the fourth quarter this week or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, props to Norfolk State. They made a lot of money for their athletic department the last two weeks, getting, getting it handed to them by two strong Sunbelt teams. Yeah. 
They got um, nice uniforms, by the way. They do. I like their helmets. I, I like actually. their helmets yeah. a lot. Yeah, I know. It's, it's I was really taken, impressed. I, know, I was weird too. It's, it's really taken them away from the. Um, what's the other school? Is it? Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's is it Virginia State or Virginia Union that's the Trojans that has kind of a similar. Yeah. This is kind of really differentiated. It's that, cool looking. Yeah, it's I, cool. I, I thought it's the same thing. That used to be a very like weird. A uh, very old school logo, and that that new helmet and uniform was nice. I thought, yeah, the same it's pretty thing. sharp. Good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the other thing on that part, Rob, these FCS game, the same way we used to look at it from the Mickey days to now. Um, Jamie, you got out of here relatively injury free, which yes, was always like the most important thing when we were on the other end of it, and now it feels just as important here. <laughs> Perhaps uh, more so. Right. I, I, you know, from what we heard on the broadcast from Kurt Dudley, like Chuck Winecki and Reggie Brown both had minor injuries that they held those guys out, but it did not sound like there was any, I don't know, at least the word this week was neither of those were significant, you know, we're going to be long-term things and that both guys would be ready. It sounded like you sit them out because you're like, you know what, we don't really need them and they're going to have a bye week. Let's get them fully healthy. Yep, That's the which, luxury of having these. Sort and of I don't know, we still never quite heard everything on Van Horse, but like, same thing, like there's no reason to rush anybody back. Um, but at the same time, this game, the other thing I was pleased with in this game, big picture, Rob, was just that they did get a this is the This is probably the only game this year where you truly have an opportunity if you jump out 35 nothing at halftime. To rest guys. To get, well, and to get real minutes. Yeah for the, the younger players and the backups who need them mm-hmm. where, you know, JMU's had the luxury the last eight or nine years of just like having seven games like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, they actually had a problem of like figuring out the four game redshirt rule. Kind yeah. Of thing in the, doing in the, the past math. Few. Right. Doing the math on like, we can't play this guy this week or whatever. Where now, you know, Chuck Winecki, I thought, uh, Remenick, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he did a good job in Chuck Winecki's place. You know, Ravenel definitely had a great game in place of Reggie Brown. Two touchdowns. Our guy, Terrence Green, Rob, he dropped a big one. We do got to clean that up. Yeah. He only had two catches. Again. I know. I felt bad for him because he had a big one that like, ah, he's in the right spot. I just got to, yep, just settle in. Uh, yeah. I, I hope I, Josh Sherratt, cheese seemed to get hurt at some point in this game or nicked up. But it didn't seem – it seemed like he was okay, I think, right? So, you know, that was good. I, I was trying to think if there was anybody else. Q Reed escaped a targeting call, which I was a little bit um, – I don't know. Maybe FBS targeting rule is different than FCS targeting because I couldn't believe he got away with that one. <laughs> and they overturned it. Um, I, I don't know. That was about – I think those were all the, like, injury – but a lot of guys got to play, which was good. So, and I was pleased uh, to see Sammy Malinagi returning a lot of kicks, you know, because I, I don't. He got some carries too, didn't he? He, he did. He actually got a touchdown late in the game. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he played well, but I also just in general, um, I'll get to those guys in a second. I mean, because I think, well, no, I'll just do it now. I mean, I think they're backup, 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 backup running backs, you know, assuming we see Van Horse again who knows how much room there is in the backfield for guys like Malinagi and Wayne Knight. But I think it's important. Wayne Knight, the freshman, he's been playing well these two weeks. He's played both games on like important carries. He had a big block downfield on Thornton. I don't know if that was the first touchdown or second touchdown of the game. 
Um, but a nice job by him. He's a freshman from, oh, I wrote this down somewhere. Uh, he's from Delaware. So we haven't had a Delaware kid oh. in a while. But yeah, yeah Smyrna, Delaware. So good to see that. Uh, Mal- Malinagi, who's the redshirt sophomore, you know, just has played all over the place. But I don't see any reason for – they list – JMU keeps listing, listing Chris Thornton as the kickoff returner. And to me, I don't want Chris Thornton anywhere near the kickoff return. Game. I don't either. <laughs> like yeah. we need Thornton catching seven, not seven to eleven balls a game and scoring two touchdowns. Um, so I'm very happy for Sammy Malinagi to return kicks if that's going to be the the plan going forward. So all of those were good. Um, I don't know. My second, my official second down, Rob, was the D line, which was excellent again. It was. They just destroyed everything in front of them. I mean, James Carpenter at nose tackle was dominant. I mean, truly, truly dominant in this game. He had eight eight tackles from your nose tackle with two and a half for a loss and one and a half sacks. Like, that's a monstrous performance from a true nose guard, right? (laughs) Like, you don't see a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, they just collapsed everything. I mean, the poor, whoever Norfolk State put in a quarterback really just, there was no place to go nothing for their running game um so just a really good performance you know jamari edwards there were a lot of guys i didn't even realize like mikhail kamara is playing a defensive end and i like forget he's only a redshirt freshman what i just forget these guys that they're even they're all here i mean i thought chromo was good again uku green all the guys we expect but uku's a player yeah yeah uh, just really good performance by the d-line again and i, I think the d-line performance just it's going to continue to be really significant for JMU throughout the year because they are helping a lot with everyone behind the D line, um, you know, to play their way into the season a little bit. So, mm, just really great stuff from the D line. I don't know. Do you have a third down, Rob? I do, and yeah. we're only two weeks in the season, but man, Todd and and Thornton. <laughs> Yeah. This is something special, isn't it? Like it's it really looks that way. I, I mean, mean Thornton it, gets open. I just can't believe because I, I know he's fast, but it doesn't seem like he's like I don't know, it's the same way everybody talks about like Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup at the NFL level, where they're just like, these guys aren't like you wouldn't pick them first in the hundred meter dash, right? <laughs> like but No, yeah, but if you got if you got a they but if you got to beat your if you got to beat your defender by five yards, yeah, mm-hmm. you might pick him. If you got to yep. line up and run run the forty, you yeah, ain't picking him. But if you got to get off the line, if you got to get out of your break, like a, I don't know that these guys just seem to be way too in sync for this stage of their partnership. Or, or it does, it's incredible, and, and there's and a lot of speed from JMU in general, though, because Ravenel yeah. and um, Green and it, you know we saw Maxwell James make some plays this week. We'll get to the backups later, but yeah, they're, the Thornton Centeo connection is incredible. It's staggering. <laughs> he had and seven for one hundred two and two touchdowns again. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody was worried about the receiver position coming in. Now it's like you mentioned just in the last little in your yeah. second down. You know, Ravenel stepped in two touchdowns because mm-hmm. he's in place of Reggie Brown, who had two touchdowns the opening week. Did he yep. not? Like, yep. And then we still haven't even gotten Green going. I, I, I will not lose faith. I still no, think I don't Green, either. I think Green is going to be a 700-yard type guy this year. I think he's going to have games where we all go, oh, wow, that's what we got him. You know, he's got multi-touchdown games in his future. As as far ahead as we see Todd and Thornton, Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit to grow with Green. I just hope that this 
that the fact that they're so in sync, I hope that doesn't stunt the development of green. If that makes any sense. I don't think, I don't think it's going to, because I do think when they go to app in two weeks, they're going to need to go. to. They're going to need, because you know, they're going to roll two guys to Thornton every single play. I mean, it would be defensive malpractice not to against this JMU team. And so, and you're going to have three and four Brown, Revenel, those guys are going to have a, they're going to have, I mean, they're going to have opportunities for sure. They are. And I think it's going to be a situation where it's going to be rotating between them. Cause I think everybody's going to be on Thornton and then they're going to be pick their poison. Mm -hmm. And when they line up and pressure Ravenel, that's when you go to Brown. And when they line up pressure Brown, that's when you go to green. So I do think there's opportunities there. And Mm -hmm. I think he's an explosive guy. Um, But man, this, this Thornton and Todd thing is, it's just fun to watch through two weeks. It's also, I, I look, I, you know, there's no, we're rooting for all of the former JMU guys, but it is fun to see. I was, I, I'm thrilled to see Thornton thriving, even without, you know, the big name on the other side, you know, and then yeah. that's all I like, I don't, that's not, a, it's nothing negative towards anyone or anything about that. I, it's just, I'm really glad to see him still being Chris Thornton and he's unreal. He's also really good after the catch. Like, you he's know, great. He's great. It's just, he accelerates I, so quickly. Ah, so good. What a cool career he's had. Um, and with him and Surratt, both of these VMI transfers, they're studs. So yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, my third down, Rob Billy Atkins, man, look yeah. darn good. Yeah, was it like seven for seven or something. Like yeah, that? And, and actually, you know, Alonzo Barnett had a slick little run down near the goal line. I, I think he only had one. I think he was like one for one. I mean, he only threw one ball, I think, um, but had a good little run uh, late in the game. But in general, just both those guys, but particularly Atkins looked really sharp, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had six completions for 48 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he just – and he just – he looked like there was no real drop-off. And I, and the thing I was worried about, it's not just Atkins, because I should give some credit elsewhere too here. You know, he came in – I think he only got one series with some version of the starting O-line. So, like, most of what he played – was behind the backup O-line. And those guys, I think, deserve some credit too. We saw Josh Toner, Owusu Appiah, who's the coastal transfer, came in and played a little bit. Um, so just real, I was just really pleased. Like we said, it was 35-0 at halftime, but they won 63-7. to So other than the, um, the, the touchdown that Norfolk State scored that's a concern, um, you know, offensively, they just kept rolling. I mean, I'm sure Norfolk State was ro- rolling through their lineup as well, but I was really pleased. And Atkins, in particular, I thought looked really sharp. <laughs> so that that was a big positive. Uh, and it goes not, back to what you're saying, yeah. like getting real minutes, not just mm-hmm. mop up duty. You know, when the stadium's completely empty, but he came in in third quarter. Yeah, well, not not five minutes to go at the end yeah. of the game. Like people are still playing, like, a quarter still and playing a half. with some starters. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting the throw to. I mean, I think he threw the last touchdown to Ravenel. I, I, I don't know. But anyways, yeah. So, oh, yeah. No, he threw the second touchdown to Thornton was from Atkins. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's really good. So And Thornton should have a third, by the way. That was absolutely a touchdown. That was a absolute, <laughs> just terrible call. Yeah. The ball hit the pylon. He dove in. I don't. His feet were not out. But Yeah. I was glad to see Percy and Kalon kind of yeah, I mean, punch in some Malinogulate, get some rushing touchdowns on the board too. But yes, I'm with you. Yeah. Kalon was very good, by the way. I expected Percy. Kalon is very good. He's, he's, a, good he's a really good guy. Like well, and good, looking, good running back. No, and that's what I kept thinking. I'm like, 
well, Van Horst is coming back too. Like, there's good players in this team all, mm-hmm. all the way up and down. So, all good. Did you have a fourth down? Because I, I have one more thing I want to bring up, but it's up to you, Rob. No, it was just to me, it was kind of piggybacking what you did for your first mm-hmm. with the FCS, FBS thing yeah. coming up focused and then the Todd and Thornton. Yeah. But well, go for it. What do you got? I, the one thing I'm concerned about, and, and we'll see, I don't know if App is, it was weird because they played a weird game this week where they like, for very game plan reasons and situation reasons, they controlled the clock. I think they had the ball for almost 40 minutes of game time against Texas A&M. And they clearly didn't, did the opposite of their North Carolina game plan where they didn't want to get in a shootout again this week. So I don't know, but you know, JMU is living dangerously on the outside. And I think that's the way we thought they were going to play uh, this year. They've been willing to, we mentioned it, you mentioned it last week, Rob, they've been willing to leave their DBs on the island. Yep. um, And go for the quarterback and, you know, really, really sell out to stop the run and to get pressure on the quarterback. And through two weeks, that has made them look glorious. But we also saw the 90-yard pass this week, and we saw probably two others that are, you know, better throws, better receivers, might be touchdowns this week. Um, Very similar to what we saw, I think, a couple plays in the middle game the first week. So I just, you know, that's not a knock on anyone. It's a developing defensive backfield. I, I mean, Jordan Swan had an interception this week. That was great. Xavier Coakley's been good. We saw the freshman, the true freshman, Brent Austin, a little bit this week. We mentioned that Remnant played in place of the injured Chuck Winecki this week. You know, Q Reed, Josh Surratt, everyone's been playing well. Sam Kidd, who we love, is probably like, you know, arguably our favorite player on the team and, and one of the more important overall players. You know, that guy's not winning the 100 yard. <laughs> He's not winning the 100 either. So that's just something I, I don't know from a – that is the scheme that JMU is going to roll with this year, I think. And it was the same thing last year. They were very susceptible to big play. They had mm-hmm. really good defensive numbers, mm-hmm. but they would – you know, they'd give up whatever, 170 yards in a game, but 70 of it would be in one pass play. And I'm know? okay with – I mean, to be honest, like going all the way back to when <laughs> Terrence Green caught a long touchdown for Monmouth, like yeah. good luck against JMU if mm-hmm. – because at some point, Ukwu is going to strip the ball or, you know, there's a play to be made up front. So, I, I mean, I'm okay with that. I just think we all need to, like, catch our collective breath a little bit and calm down a little bit when occasionally there another team might hit a big play. Because uh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen with the scheme they play and with the, the right. levels of experience. These guys if are Norfolk State can do it one time. or two times, then certainly app and – Georgia Southern and, and others, Louisville can, can do it, you know? So we just need to be, that's the way we're going to roll. Um, I will say this. I mean, if JMU keeps averaging 55 points a game, none of that's really going to matter. And I think, I think at this point, until we see otherwise, we got to let Centeno and Thornton and Percy roll and just assume that, you know, the way we're, if we may end up winning some games, 31, 28, but we're certainly going to be in some 31-28, 41-38 games. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that, that, that may be okay <laughs> like in year one. Uh, so, you know, it's a team game. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be down on the DBs because they're put in an impossible position sometimes. But 
I, but I'm also not glad going to every see battle. Them. No, yeah, exactly. And I'm also glad to see them out there. I mean, get rolling out Austin and Booth and these younger guys. Get them out there and get them ready to play because we're going to need them this year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of my last thing was thinking about the DBs. No, I agree with you 100%. Okay. Yeah. So that's about it for me on the game. JMU has a bye week. Uh, the JMU Sports Blog may have a special guest next week. No promises, but it's uh, we're going to talk about it when we hang up here, Rob. Um, mm-hmm. But pretty good. And only other thing I had this week, I don't have anything like we've done around the Sun Belt, don't have anything on the other JMU teams this week. was pretty cool. This was Hall of Fame weekend for JMU. And our favorite ever player, right? Rodney One of Landers. our Rodney Landers got in. I, I also was shocked to see how tall Landers still is. Yeah, I never realized like, he towered over Kenny Brooks. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feels like Kenny's old enough; he may be shrinking a little. But like, but like, it was funny, you know. I didn't realize like how tall Rodney is. But it was great to see him. I think Don Evans was in his class with Kenny Brooks, so that was pretty fun. To see the two of them back, um, you know, really fun. Just, just, and, and for all the, I mean, it was cool hearing. I think it was Dudley. It was it Brian Barlow on the broadcast with him this week talking mm-hmm. about Rodney. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to yell, Ronnie Flanders from our old <laughs> message board days. It's the best. So, yeah, I would love to have another season like that. And uh, through two games at least, it's not out of the question this year. So, it's pointed in the right direction. Yeah. Um, really, really fun week. So, um, all right. We got an overtime this week, Rob. You want to reintroduce us to overtime since we cut this off last week? Yeah. Um, yeah. we'll see if we can run this back. We'll pretend surprise. We'll pretend to be surprised at each other's responses. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This was from, uh, Michael one clutch, our buddy poof, who uh-huh. said, what are the best book to movie adaptions we have? And so I think what we're going to do is we'll, we'll do this draft style, Todd. You can go, uh-huh. well, we'll, we'll choose three. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not good at favorites so i'm just gonna choose three that i like so just cut up so if somebody says like oh yours aren't the best well yeah no duh i'm just i'm choosing three that i like and i'm not gonna overthink this but and then maybe if we have time we can go with some bad ones just just to be cynical because everybody okay. loves cynicism yeah. so we talked about this our rules for this to the extent there are rules uh, it's a podcast there are none there are no um, rules yeah. right but the rules was it it is book to movie it's not book to television correct so it's not game of thrones um and it is, at least for me, my personal rule, this doesn't have to apply to you, was that I have to have read the book. Um, like, Oh, yeah. I, I, I know there are given. some, I, like for me, at least, like, Shawshank is one of my favorite movies. I never read. Didn't read the book. The I book didn't read that it was based Shoeless upon. Joe or whatever right. James is based on. Yeah, Right. So yeah. like it, it had to be something that I've actually read. And uh, yeah. so my number one pick was No Country for Old Men. Um it's just Cormac McCarthy, Cormac McCarthy book. I I mentioned um, my point in this was that I'm actually not a huge Cormac McCarthy fan. It Mm -hmm. can be too bleak for me and don't get me wrong. No country is as bleak bleak. as it gets. Um, But it's the Coen brothers, which makes me really happy. And no country for old men is based on a Yates poem. So the the title comes from a William Butler Yates poem. I, I don't know. It's just all my like, English major nerd things come into play here. I also just, I'm obsessed with that movie. It's a weird, it's not one that makes me happy or anything like that, but man, to well, be, I'd be uh, concerned if it made you happy. No, but <laughs> I think most of the thing I love about the Coen brothers, most of all is you kind of are in this. I don't know. It's like a dream. 
you're just in this weird place. They do such a good job of putting me, I don't want to be there in this movie. It's not like Lebowski where I'm happy, but <laughs> they put me in this place. That's really hard. Um, but it's also amazing. And I absolutely adore the Tommy Lee Jones character in this movie. So it just really, really, there's a whole, I don't know that one scene where he's talking about the percolator and the coffee's mm-hmm. been on the burner since Tuesday. It's just amazing. <laughs> so I love that. Also, yeah. this was the title of the blog post that kind of inspired Jamie Swartz blog. If you remember back to the Mr. Relevant, the oh, upstate wow. one. I didn't even know that. <laughs> remember Jamie is no country for old men with the old men leave story. Oh. So, totally forgot about that. Yeah. I did too, just until you mentioned that. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds familiar. So that's funny. That's a story for another day. But yeah. um, Google it, boys and girls, yeah. and you can find about when people who are now old old people themselves mm-hmm. chanted me and you out of a party in Forest Hills like a bunch yeah. of mean old college students. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's great. No, that's good. You, I yeah. do like Cormac McCarthy very yeah. much, but I absolutely agree with you that it you need to be in the right frame of mind, otherwise that that can send you to some bad places. Reading, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Reading, yeah. So. Um, I went kind of lighthearted and I like just it. didn't think this of, isn't lighthearted. I don't think. Wait, no, no. The yours is not lighthearted, but like mine much more Lucy. It's certainly not Cormac McCarthy. Like I went with Moneyball. Oh I yeah. Just, I, I love that. I, for me, it was just so surprising that you could take what was a very good book. And I think anybody who's a baseball fan will tell you, yeah, it's a good book. It's mm-hmm. become kind of a, I don't know. Legendary. Is that fair to say? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now at this point, I think so. Yeah. But talk about something that I never in a million years would have imagined could be developed into a movie. Right. And they pulled it off. I thought it was great. Like I, I like Brad Pitt. I really enjoy watching him work. I really like Jonah Hill. The two of them together, I thought were fantastic. And I thought they did an awesome job of kind of taking what was not even like a narrative. It was just, it was like a really long New Yorker article and they turned it into a really compelling movie. So mm-hmm. I just, it, it was exciting to me when I heard it was option to be a movie. I was like, a lot of people was like, what the hell? This is, it was almost became like, <laughs> like doom porn. Like this is going to be such a disaster. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. And then not only did it kind of exceed my expectations, but it kind of blew them away. Like that's a movie when it is on, yes. you mentioned Shawshank earlier. Yeah. Shawshank's on, I'm watching Moneyball's on, I'm watching, you know, mm-hmm. I come across it. So I just, it, this one was just so surprising to me and it was cool that you could take something that was very much a nonfiction magazine style article and mm-hmm. turn it into a really compelling, you know, a, I was stunned a piece by of art, the movie but, for sure. Yeah. Like it was like, cool. Like, just in the sense that like, how I, I, I'm like you, I'm like, I like that book that's going to be, but how are they going to make that into a movie? Yeah. yeah. You, you can't do that. It's like, what, what are you going to do? Like that? That's just, there's no story. What are they going to do? But, they did a great job with it. So that was just cool when you took mm-hmm. it. The types, of, I'm a big nonfiction fan, so that's mm-hmm. neat for me. But I'm also a big movie fan. And to see them two come together like they did, mm-hmm. it was just, it was really neat for me. So Moneyball was one of my favorite book to movie adaptations because it was such an adaptation. It just, they they transformed it into, took something really cool in one form and made it really cool in another form. So. Love it. Yes. My number two pick was last year's Dune. Um, I know we have, we have different views on book and movie here. Yes. Um, but as a like fantasy sci-fi lover myself, um, this was one I'd always heard. I, I love the book. Love the book since I was, you know, 15 or something. Mm-hmm. Never read like the extended Dune world. Like wasn't someone that, it wasn't something like I read all the books and was obsessed with the series. Just like the initial book, 
really loved it, was aware of the David Lynch movie from the 80s that, you know, I, I think I had probably seen it at some point, but just knew that it was considered to be awful and that it, it was considered to be proof that this was unmakeable as a movie. And then to have something last year that was like so cool and sounded cool and looked cool. I don't know. I was just very happy and um, very much looking forward to the next movie. I also think probably to David Lynch's to excuse him a little bit is, uh, you know, the technology that we have now to make a movie like this is far superior, far superior to the weird sandworm version. Right? Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of a funny I, one. It is a really, I, I, yeah, I know. What was your thought on this, Rob? Yeah. I think it's a great book. Mm-hmm. It because I wanted to like the book, I did not. I wanted to like the movie, I did not. But I'm. I don't think like I'm above it, or I don't think it's like I've got good taste. I just. Right. I don't think I'm tough enough to get through these things. Like they're <laughs> so confusing. Like I'm not a ten of enough. Yeah. And I've talked to you about this in the past. For me, I, I wanted like the book. I put it off, and I was like, I finally got it last year, and I was so excited, and I dove in. And I just couldn't keep up. It was almost like expectations were so far above what it could be. I like sci-fi and fantasy. Mm-hmm. I struggle with it when they have like their own lexicon and kind of the whole historical thing where yes. I don't get it. I get lost in it. And for books like this, I think you and I both like this book, The Brief History of Seven Killings. Like, Yes, love it. That's a really confusing story in a lot of way. The way the author chose to handle it, or maybe the editor or some yeah. combination thereof, with that lead in where they've got essentially like the biographies or the glossary. So you can reference. So you come to one chapter and you hear yep. about some guy, you don't, you can flip back. I need that for like sci-fi and fantasy books because I don't understand which, you know, which planet is this and which made up word means more. It's like, I got yes. lost in Dune. I wanted to like it. It's well, like, there's also like 17 planets and there's all yeah. these like factions. Yeah. It's very confusing. And I will say it's a weird book. Cause I remember as a kid, it's one of those books where there is some kind of glossary or map or something. And I remember like very studiously, you know, looking at it. And then as an adult, when the movie was coming out last year, I went back and read it on a Kindle and you just never like the map is terrible. Like it doesn't explain any, you know, you're never going to like go back to the glossary thing on a Kindle. I need a poster in front of me explaining (laughs) where everybody is, how the planets relate, who's what. I need the family trees. I need to know which, you know, the trade routes, all that. So so it it ain't for me. I didn't enjoy either. But I say this, I'm kind of envious of those of you that could push through and understand it. So I'm I'm not going to knock you. I'm not going to be like, oh, sci-fi slam. Like it is cool. I get the appeal. I just, I'm not an attentive enough reader or movie watcher to do it. So. What's the next? What's another good one for you, Ralph? I'm going to stick with my sports theme, and this oh, is nice. again um, probably not one of my f- favorites or anything, but something that I really enjoyed both the book and the movie is Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, the movie I think is vastly overshadowed by the TV series, which again was one that I thought was going to be terrible. Turned out also to be good. good. Yes, yeah, I, I loved it when when it first the came out. I remember my really wife too, particularly though. making fun of it, like so cheesy. And geez, everybody loves Coach Taylor. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Deservedly so. The book alone, like you don't need to embellish this story. It just pulls all the heartstrings. You've got, you know, the star running back who gets injured. You've got the guy struggling in the small town who goes off to Harvard. You've got the coach with all the demons. Like it is as dramatic as you could possibly hope to make up a story. Um, 
So I thought the Buzz Bissinger's book was great. Mm-hmm. It was kind of hard to read. Booby Miles and the way he gets hurt and he goes from, you know, yeah. he was almost like Marcus Dupree, you know, yeah, a guy who was, real. you know, the, he was, he was Marcus he was, Dupree. The real life, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. Blue chip, like this guy's going to go play in the NFL, blows out his knee in high school and it just never really happens for him. Um, so the book is great. And Bissinger is a terrific storyteller, terrific reporter. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Billy Bob Thornton. I know he's kind oh, of was great polarizing, movie, but like, though. I think he's great. And yeah. his speech about being perfect in the locker room at halftime against Dallas <laughs> Carter, I think, which oh, yeah, was yeah. Jesse Armstead's high school they play. I just think that's one of the coolest monologue speeches or anything where he talks about the desire. Like being perfect is giving your own. Go go watch on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, I just loved it. I thought the book was compelling. Um Taking again, I've got a nonfiction theme here, but the movie was well shot. I thought it was well cast. And so for me, that's one that I think just flies under the radar because everybody thinks of the fictionalized version, which is great. And I love as well, but uh, don't, don't sleep on the movie version of the real events. No, I think that's, that's a great one, Rob. I love that. Uh, All versions of that. I really enjoy. Um, And, and I do think the movie gets slept on a little bit. Yeah, it's a good movie. What's the other... Uh, Varsity Blues is the other like kind of sensational version one. of this, yeah. right? Yeah, that, which like, I enjoy as well. I also enjoy, yes, but I think, yeah, I think you're right that that original gets slept on. You don't yeah. need to fuss up Texas high school football. There's no. plenty of drama there to be in with. You know? <laughs> That's right. Oh, so my third one, and this is the one I debated Rob between whether it was good or bad because we do have some bad ones too. But my third one is Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Which is this is a little looser book to movie. It's Heart of Darkness. It is. It's Joseph Conrad's Part of Heart of Darkness, adapted to a different. So obviously in the book, it's a trip into the Cairo, in in the eight, late eighteen hundreds, um, versus the movie, which is, uh, you know, fictionalized version of late era Vietnam mm-hmm. um, slash Cambodia, ultimately. Yeah. But everything about it, I, I, the reason I said this is Mark and Susan Facknitz, my professors at JMU English department, um, tried very hard to, to deal with Heart of Darkness, and I could not handle it. Like, could mm-hmm. not, just could not access this book, could not learn it, could not figure it out, didn't make sense to me. And then you watch Apocalypse Now, I'm like, oh, okay. that's, yeah. what, well, that's what's going on a little bit. Okay. Um, the other funny thing, just to tie it back on mine, it's this is uh, Francis Ford Coppola co-wrote Apocalypse Now. First of all, what a weird thing to be like, oh, I'm going to turn Heart of Darkness into a Vietnam movie yeah. um, and have Marlon Brando be in it. And it's weird. Uh, but he co-wrote it with um, a weird screenwriter guy named John. I think his name is John. It's Milius is the last name. But he's actually the character that um, <laughs> that Walter Sobchak from The Big Lebowski is based on. Like he's the real person. That like that's a real been. like. Yeah, he was really like of- a veteran lunatic maybe a veteran, maybe not a veteran, but he was like a weird lunatic Fringes person of around that like the Coen brothers met early in their career. Yes. Who had co-written. I mean, that was his thing, right? That he co-wrote Apocalypse Now, which also probably explains like, <laughs> you know, who this person is. Right? That'll get you a lot of bar tabs. And yeah. Sure yeah but, but also will get you like weirdly arrested sometimes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so, yeah. Um, just really really like that movie and all of the i mean Robert, all those people in that movie just i don't know how they the fine line in the late 70s throughout most of the 80s between like 
uh, the right amount of cocaine and too much cocaine <laughs> is like it's very very fine right? <laughs> when it comes to the like art of that time so yeah anyways yes very good what was your um, last one rob My first two are ones that I read the book and then went on the movie. And that's typically the way I do things. If I hear a movie is coming out and it's a book Mm -hmm. I want to read, I will most often, you know, refuse to see the movie until I finish the book. This last one, I did the opposite. Um, The Godfather, you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had seen that a million times, I think probably before I even knew it was a book. Even though they say Mario Puzo's The Godfather, I was like, oh, whatever. He's probably a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one I'd seen a bunch. You know, it's my dad's favorite movie, as I'm sure. It's amazing. 90% of the people on this podcast can say it was my dad's favorite movie yeah. um, or listeners on this podcast. Well, the other 10% can say Godfather 2 was my dad's favorite movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so like, great. Um, the book is awesome. Like, it's one of those things, like, it's cool to go back and kind of do it reverse where you see the Yeah, I'm so glad you movie. brought this up because that's my thing. I've never read the book. And yeah, I'm it, glad to hear awesome. you say the book is great too. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Definitely go pick it up. It's compelling. It's cool to get into the characters. It's it's cool to see the narrative. And it's also fun to kind of do the reverse thing where when you're reading the book, picturing the scenes as they actually were shot versus picturing how you would shoot them or imagining the characters or what do they look like, which to me is part of the fun of being a reader is imagining things are in your head, but it's kind of cool to do it the other way. So it's just, it's a great book. There's a follow on there's lesser. And then I think there's a third one as well, but um, yeah, it's awesome. Like it's, it, you can see why they made it into a movie. You can, st- I still would say the movie is better, um, but it's considered, you know, arguably the top movie of all time, worst mm-hmm. case top five. The book is not at that level but it is really good. It is really fun. So it's just, for me, it was fun to do like booked movie adaptations, but from the reverse standpoint. So yeah, uh, if you haven't read it yet, I would highly recommend it. No, oh, that's awesome. So Rob, what's your, that it's a really good one. What is your worst one? Who, um, I was, I was torn between yeah. fever pitch <laughs> oh, with, God. which is like the peak <laughs> annoying Jimmy Fallon. Um, the Red Sox, not nearly as endearing by the time that movie came out <laughs> when no. they'd already won it and basically become, you know, Red Sox. Red Sox fans were just Yankees fans with worse pizza. And not uh, the book. Yeah. <laughs> and the book, like Nick Hornby is such a great writer. I, I love everything he's ever written. Fever Pitch was a fantastic book about his love for Arsenal football. Um, it's not really a one-to-one no. with the Red Sox. You know, maybe it was... Even even like the, the Arsenal thing fell apart with the Invincibles season in 2005 or whatever. Um, and certainly the Red Sox thing fell apart shortly thereafter. It's just, I don't know. It's a great book about like the weirdness of fandom and how it's so arbitrary. And we know that, but it still gets into our psyche and it, it messes it up. It brings us joy. And they just have this dumb movie with Jimmy Fallon where it's just like sight yeah. gags. And it just, it just was terrible. So it was that or Bonfire of the Vanities, which is another oh, book that yeah. I love by Tom Wolfe about Masters yeah. of the Universe, Wall Street in the 80s. It's a very over-the-top version of, you mentioned cocaine and everything. I was yeah. like, just the excess and people's egos getting ahead of them and greed. And, you know, so you've got a book by Tom Wolfe, a yeah. movie starring Tom Hanks, and it still is nearly unwatchable. It, it takes a special circumstance, set of circumstances to come together. But it it's does. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but it's just a disaster. It's like the sort of thing they should study in film school of what not to do. 
Well, and I don't and know how they did like it because it's just you start with a wolf book, you add Tom Hanks, it should be great, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. It, it should be great. Like you're supposed to make a movie about kind of excess and not like well people and Tom Tom Hanks is so good at kind of towing that line and it's just a blah movie. It's just I think it's Kim Basinger in it as well. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know. I might be making that last part up, but it's an absolutely terrible movie and it's a book that I really enjoyed. So that one stunk. And then my final one was in terms of just pure popcorn flicks. Like I thought rising sun by Michael Crichton was set up on the ladder to be, it was coming off Jurassic park and nobody's going to confuse any Crichton book for great literature, but they are page turners and they are the sorts of things that really set set up for blockbuster for blockbuster. And Rising Sun was a really fun one about, you know, Japanese businessmen and scandals and everything. Like it just had the makings of a really compelling narrative. And it was just a dud of a movie. So those mm-hmm. are mine. So what about you? Oh, what are your good. bad Yeah, ones? mine were uh, all versions of Gatsby. Um, yeah. All of us that were um, forced at some point in our academic careers to read Fitzgerald. And whether we like the book or don't like the book, we all, I think somewhat understood it right i I don't know (laughs) and yet none of the movies really live up to it um probably my most disappointing one of all is the giver Mm -hmm. which is the lois lowry book which i just adore as you might imagine from my fantasy sci-fi love and then to have basically everyone that i you know it's like meryl streep and jeff bridges and i I thought the same thing i'm like this is going to be wonderful and it's just awful (laughs) no it's just so disappointing and wooden and terrible and were you reading did you guys read the book (laughs) yeah did did you get like were there pages ripped out of (laughs) what are we doing here right and it also felt so like timely like it just came out in the last 10 years or so and it felt like this should be a story that makes sense and it no none and then my last one was kind of my hot take rob was uh Maybe I've even come around on this, but I, I'm, I'm still, I will never be fully satisfied with all of the Potter franchise. So I just, yeah, like I, I got, love I the book there. Like so, that was one. Like I, I was so I, worried. What's so making... weird is I like they really did a good job, and there are tons and tons and tons. There are like generations now, two probably two generations of fans who entered the Harry Potter world and love Harry Potter because of the movies. And that's a huge credit to the movies. But I don't know, justice for Cho. I just feel like there's <laughs> there are so many changes that I like as a like hardcore book reader who read, at least from the fourth book on, read like the whole series before each book came out over again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, I guess there was just no way. Like, it's so funny because they did a better, I think arguably Harry Potter did a better job of adapting the books than say, the last season of game of thrones um or last arguably two seasons but i think you know but it just it's it, hard it, because it, they, the, there was like no way that it could live up to a book reader's expectation no and you've got to take way. artistic license to cut things and change mm-hmm. things to put mm-hmm. them on the screen i thought that was going to be a disaster because i thought it was an impossible task because there were people like you and people like me yeah. who were just so determined to say nope 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 wrong there's like wrong. 300 named characters too. yeah like how are we going to do this yeah i was so pleasantly surprised me i walked too. out of the, the, the theater when i saw it opening night for the first one and i was just overjoyed because it was like not only did they not mess it up but i was like oh my gosh 
they've got it. And I almost felt like I won because we talked earlier about you envision things in your head. And I was yeah. like, that's exactly how I envision it. Like I, I understand that they had to cut <laughs> corners and everything, but it's got to be one of the most well-cast series oh, of all yeah. time. And, and they also caught such a break in the fact that uh, this is going to make me sound like a rotten person, but like nobody grew up to be horribly ugly or like dysfunctional. Like, no, only you know, the author. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, but like all the characters themselves right. grew up and like they went through typical kind of like – they That's were exactly kind of right. reasonably the awkward looking. Are like, yeah, normal, like well-adjusted adults. Yeah, by all at least by celebrity standards. Like, no, no, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about like just the on-screen appearance. I'm purely yeah. superficially, like oh, on-screen. Yeah. Like you didn't, you you don't want to be a jerk, but like nobody, you know, you could, didn't go that. through the growth spurt and was six inches shorter than their castmates, or nobody got horribly overweight, mm-hmm. or went through like they were perfectly awkward enough like they didn't all look like movie stars they looked like normal preteens and teenagers but like nobody went off the rails so they all looked like they were aging appropriately yes you know and they all kind of grew up to be reasonably attractive people and so like they got really lucky in that sense you know they did did. it's just i just i thought and like i mean geez snape has there ever been oh, a better Draco? Never, like, mean, yes. those guys like, are perfectly cast. Perfect. You know, so I get what you're saying because it's not going to match up one to one. But when you're converting an 800 page book into a movie, you've got to take some license. So I went the other way. I I was so convinced that was going to be a flaming pile of garbage yeah. that I was pretty excited they pulled it off. And I thought the sets were awesome, the cast. So I'm the complete opposite of you. Like, I, I get what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. But I wholeheartedly disagree. I would say that's actually closer to my top list than anything I was disappointed on. Yeah, that's why I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but anyways. But you yeah. know, you can certainly nitpick. You can say, yeah. you, you can argue about what they did with this or they don't. But like, yeah. overall, I mean. Don't, well, the other don't, wonderful thing about that one is that they they had eight movies to explore seven books. Yeah. They got the full treatment and everybody bought. They did it so well, the first one or two movies, that then they got like licensed to go. Do the no whole place. Thing. Like even to see like Diagon Alley or Gringotts, like to see uh, that come yeah. to life. Yes. To me, that was, I don't know. It was, it was cool. Pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Maybe you talked me out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so, anyways. Well, that was fun, Rob. And um, what a great, 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 great weekend for the Sun Belt. It's, it's hard to believe JMU in, in what a year and a half we've gone from trying to, moderate debates between FBS, FCS, you know, partisans and, and being like, we got to move up because the FCS is going to be even shittier when the group of five is, is, you know, outcast to being in the conference that seems to have the pole position for the first playoff bid, whenever that comes around, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's incredible. So all that's in the last, what, 18 months. <laughs> So, really the last year, you know, I think it was October of last year is when they announced. So yeah, it's awesome. It's been a while, 12 months or 11 yeah. months, I guess at this point. And now we get two weeks to hype up going to Boone to play. I don't know. Nationally ranked coming off game day app state. I mean, they were, well, that's what's, what's interesting is let's say if app state wins this weekend, and Maybe Jamie knocks them off. Jamie was definitely in the. Oh, we're in the conversation. Yeah, yes. it, you know, like it starts to be like, hmm, 
you know, the, I, the, yeah. things things change quite a bit. Then you go oh. on a winning streak, and it's like, wow, whatever. We don't need to go there. We don't no, need to no, no, no. I, I mean, Metlin, I, he tweeted this weekend, and he was just as, uh, you know, he, he can be just as homerish as we are. But he was like, man, I wonder about October 22nd, like on the game day front. Mm-hmm. Like, and now that was, I think that may have been, that was before they announced they were going to app. So they're doing a whole Sunbelt week this week, which is great for game day coming off um, this Sunbelt week. But yeah, you did. He, he had, I had the same thought as he did when Marshall beat Notre Dame and then app won again. And all this was getting exciting. You, you did think to yourself like, man, could JMU reel off four straight wins? And could they be facing an undefeated Marshall for homecoming the end of, our, you know, in five weeks? It's a tall order, though. I it's mean, a really tall order. It's a lot of football between now and then for both programs. But you, it, it's that's the kind of thing that we went from, like, <laughs> I hope we can compete to, holy crap. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it got real. And, it got real, and real. from a JMU standpoint, just a pure JMU standpoint, nothing else. I did not expect 44-7 and 63-7. Like there, you would never have convinced me before the season. I mean, I, I would have thought we beat Norfolk State handily, but like the way we look offensively is so far above and beyond what I what I imagined. That I, I just I had no idea what to expect. Yeah, it's easy to get overconfident after the last two weeks. Yeah, and then maybe we'll be brought back to earth in two weeks, but we'll see. So, anyways, really fun to talk about, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking next week, Rob. After yeah, the app too. game day experience, we'll all know everything there is to know about Boone this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. Talk to you soon, Rob. All right. Have a good week. Go Dukes.